0: hello and welcome to another episode of the soccer fitness experience i'm your co-host sebastian and i'm here with andy today when we are ready for another episode but first let's give a major shout out to nordstick for supporting our show check them out using the link in our description
1: this episode is brought to you by the nordstick the number one way to train your hamstrings anywhere at any time The number one injury burden in the game of soccer is, you guessed it, hamstring injury. What better way to prevent this than using the Nordstick? From endless Nordic curl variations for your hamstrings, to other lower body exercises, to even upper body and core exercises, you name your goal and the Nordstick can help you get there. Use the link in the description to learn more and get 10% off. Once again, use the link in this episode's description for 10% off.
0: Um, Andy, how's everything going?
1: Yeah, what's going on, man? Uh, life is good. I uh, just beat COVID for the second time. Uh, <laughs> a lot easier than the first. but uh, oh, That's good. <laughs> happy <come> holidays. <laughs> <laughs> happy holidays. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving, you know, listen, man, all I got to say is y'all be careful out there right now. If you're doing your thing, just make sure you, you just, you know, use your head, use your common sense. And uh, there's a lot of sick people, you know, so... <laughs>
0: The Just know what you're with
1: us. That's all I gotta say. Exactly, man. I mean, I gained like I feel like I gained like ten
0: pounds. I ate like the biggest meal of my life every day the entire week of Thanksgiving, and I have no <laughs> regrets. Um, that's the way to before, do it. Before further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest today. We have got a special episode. We have a professional referee with us today. His name is J C Briggs. He has refereed in USL Championship, USL One, and also has some experience in MLS. J C, welcome.
2: Hey, thank you for having me on today. Um, I also do a little bit in the NWSL as well, the National Women's Soccer League, and uh, NCAA just got off the NCAA D3 Men's Championship, so I I put my hand in a lot of leagues. Let's go. That is
0: awesome. You know what I found out uh, doing a little bit of research before this podcast? um, I found out that referees have their own pages on transfer market. Yeah, um, I thought that yeah. was pretty cool. It shows your stats and it shows like what teams win, lose, yellow cards, red cards. I was like, oh my.
2: <laughs> yeah, it. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure you found plenty of uh cards in that. So. <laughs>
0: um, but before before I guess asking you about everything going on with refereeing, JC, could you give us a little bit of background about you? Um, what what led to you becoming a pro referee in the first place?
2: Well, um, I guess it starts uh, on a soccer field in Newport News, uh, Virginia. I was uh, just wanting to make a little money. I talked to a friend's older brother who was refereeing, and he's like, hey, you can make uh, 15 to 20 bucks an hour refereeing U-8s, U-12s, U-10s. And so uh, I did it, and it was a great paying job as a 14-year-old It's better than uh, cutting grass or anything like that. Um, and I just did local games, tournaments, uh, and with my dad. And then um, when I went to university, I stopped roughing for a little bit. And when I picked it back up uh, halfway through college, I, I I, really don't know what did it. I think it was just being lucky, hard work, and just the right place, right time. Um, it's kind of like when you're coming up through academy, when you're coming up through like select and stuff like that, you get seen, you get invited to another event, another team. You had seen, you get invited to another event, and uh, I guess I didn't screw up too much, and this is where I'm at now.
0: That's awesome, man. Congrats. I think that's something we don't think about too, too much. We don't think about like referees having to kind of go up the levels as well. It's like players, you know, you want to go through like the U10s all the way through the U19s until you make it to the pro team, and it's the same idea with referees, I guess. You have to kind of work your way up the ladder until you're getting to this point, and hopefully even higher if those are your ambitions.
2: Yeah, and it was. Uh, that's basically what it was. It was. Uh, I got invited to state cup, which every state has a state cup. If you're playing soccer, that's your goal when you're in high school for your club team is to make state cup. That was my goal to like make the state cup final, and then you get invited to regionals if you win your state cup. Same with the referees. A pool of referees gets selected to go to regionals, and if you do well enough at regionals, you get selected to go to nationals. And it's the same thing with referees. Every region gets a certain amount of referees every region gets a certain allotment of teams and it's a kind of the same thing. So, yeah.
0: I think that's so cool. Um, Well, before um, asking you about some specific questions later on um, regarding certain calls we may or may not be seeing during the world cup, since we are still in the middle of that um, we are, we do have a lot of fitness questions that come in. Are there any fitness tests that you or other referees have to pass before taking part in games?
2: Yeah. Um, the fitness tests vary depending on what level you're at. And I'll, uh, I'll just touch briefly on the lower levels up to, uh, where I'm at, um, grassroots referee, which is the lowest. I don't think you have to have a fitness test anymore. It used to be that you had to pass a certain like run 2000 meters in less than 12 minutes or something like that. Um, I don't know, don't quote me on that, but I remember it was something like that. But uh, for me personally, what I have to do is, and shout out to all the national referees who are running the fitness test now uh, in California, we have to run six 40-meter sprints, and depending on what level you are, you have to run it in less than six seconds, 6.2, 6.4, 6.6. For me personally, the FIFA men's referee standard is less than six seconds a 40-meter sprint. Um, then you have to, you get a, I think it's a five minute break and then you have to run 40 times 75 meters in less than 15 seconds. Then you have to walk 25 meters in less than 18 seconds. Now that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're stopping, starting, stopping, starting, sprinting, walking, sprinting, it's supposed to resemble a soccer game. It's supposed to resemble a referee where you're making that. 50, 75, even sometimes 100-meter sprint from goal line to goal line. But at the same time, also, you're going to be walking sometimes. So
0: that, That's a lot. Andy, uh, kind of sounds like some of the things we might be putting our players through.
1: I, I was about to say, this <laughs> This fitness test sounds a lot better than what the vast majority of youth programs are running these days. Like, <laughs> completely honest. Like, it's it, it sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. For real, yeah. yeah.
2: And it and AR is the other thing with AR is it depends. I'm a referee, so I focus on the referee side of things, but AR is a system referees. They run a little bit different. Theirs is a little bit slower in the uh, in the 75 25 meter range, but they run a 30 meter sprint, and I think they have to run in less than 4.5 seconds, a 30 meter sprint. And then they also have to do side shuffle, So it's like a shuttle run almost type thing, but it's side shuffling, side shuffling. And then turning and sprinting, and I don't know exactly how fast they got to do that, but it uh, it definitely challenges you. It's um I will say, it's mentally tough because it's like you keep going around the track, you keep going around the track, and it's uh sometimes it feels like there's no end in sight. You're like, oh man, I've done this twelve times, but it's actually you've only done three laps. So no, let
1: yeah. me let me ask you a question on that because. Um, I'm, I'm starting to shift more towards the fact that a lot of these physical tests, the, the mental element of it is so strong. Um, when you're refereeing a match, have you personally ever felt exhausted during the match? Like as exhausted as the players that are playing?
2: I would like to say that almost every single match that I do, I feel just as if not more prepared and more fit than the players and it's no knock Mm -hmm. on the players in any Mm -hmm. capacity because they have other things that they have to worry about they have challenges i'm not being tackled every few minutes i'm not taking knocks like Mm -hmm. the biggest concern i have is my cleat tearing because i turn too quick like that's the biggest concern i have um Mm -hmm. so i would say for me personally no um there's been two incident incidences where I've cramped and I thought I wouldn't be able to finish the match, uh, but I've made it both times. And then at a pretty serious uh, rolled ankle one time, and it was on ESPN Plus, and uh, I had to get it taped while on the while on the table during a uh, hydration break in 2020. So, um, but to answer your question, I'd say for me personally, there's never been for most referees. Uh, We take it pretty serious, especially at my level, and I'd say for most of them, no. I feel they're just as fit, if not just a bit fitter than the players, because we don't get subs. That's true, too. Exactly. You guys
1: don't get subs. (laughs) (laughs) And it's almost like a a true meritocracy of, you know, kind of like how you said you have to work up the ladder. If you're not fit enough to, you know, referee a game, chances are it's not going to go well, and chances are it's not how you're going to get promoted so to speak so
2: yeah and they look at they take into consideration your fitness levels they take into consideration your ability to manage a game work with players and they take into consideration your uh, knowledge of the laws of the game and they take all that and uh if you're if you do well enough and all that and you keep performing in matches that's how you uh keep going up the ladder Hmm. this
0: is a, a bit of a side side question i just thought of how do you like different leagues have different rules? For example, I think the biggest one I can think of is like the clock in NCAA versus like professional games, professional games. How do you kind of manage the slightly different rules that might happen in each game?
2: Um, Well, once the NCAA season ended, which for me ended uh, this past Saturday, I put that to the side until August when the NCAA season begins again. Um, I, that I've never been asked that before. I think for me, it's just uh, being able to compartmentalize, put a different hat on. Uh, if I'm doing a professional match, whether it's NWSL or I'm doing a fourth official in the MLS or USL championship, or if I'm doing an NCAA, I just have to, uh, compartmentalize and just like re-familiarize myself with it when the time comes. I mean, it's, uh, it's my job not to screw it up. Um, fingers crossed that never happens. Knock on wood, it hasn't happened so far. But uh, but yeah, there are a lot of little nuances between leagues. And uh, it's even harder at the youth levels, if you'd be surprised, because every tournament has their own rules. Um, for anybody doing like a tournament one weekend, the next weekend they could have completely different rules about substitutions, about head injuries, about certain things. I
0: think that's very fair. Um, any... You kind of mentioned the rolling the ankle the one time between you and like your other refereeing friends, are there any injuries that you may have noticed that tend to happen more often than others or that you guys kind of talk about? You're like, Oh man, like, yeah, like I rolled my ankle or Oh, like my hamstring keeps tightening up at games.
2: Yeah. Um, as I've gotten older, I've been more aware back in the day. I didn't, I wasn't uh, too concerned about getting injured. I trained, I made sure I do stuff, but Um, as I've gotten older, I've definitely taken better care of myself. I think, uh, looking at it, and this is yet again, from a referee perspective, I think the biggest thing is Achilles and I'm not entirely sure why for me personally, I, every off season, I do undergo physical therapy just to maintain and make sure preventative. It's more preventative physical therapy because I do feel it. I do feel my ankles. I do feel my Achilles I do feel my T-band getting tight and stuff like that. And it's just more preventative. It's more making sure nothing does happen. But a lot of referees I've noticed do have Achilles injuries, whether it's uh, tendonitis or torn Achilles. Um, in fact, one of uh, one of the most recent FIFA's, Chris Penso, he uh, was on a podcast talking about how it's come back from an Achilles stare to where... It completely separated almost. And then uh, there's another JC in the league uh, who used to be in the league, JC Riviero, tore both of his Achilles and was out for three years. So let's say for referees, that's a big one. ARs, uh, you don't really think about, but that's side-to-side shuffling and dynamic sprints and stopping on a dime in a straight line. Their hips and their ankles and their knees they tend to have uh, some issues with that uh, as you get older. I mean, we're athletes. I know most people don't look at us as athletes, but uh, we do get our injuries. Um, but those are the more common ones that I can think of. Rolled ankles don't happen very often. I guess I just was a lucky one to have
0: them. I mean, things happen. It is what it is. And I like that you touched on the ARs because I, I actually did a session with someone who who's an AR and they do their first official as well. But I never really thought about how much just like sideways sprinting almost that they're doing. They're like sprinting and also having their whole body turned to the sideline so that they can pay attention to where the line is.
2: Yeah, and I tried doing not, it and I was
0: like, oh my goodness.
2: Yeah, it's not a natural movement. And to be honest, uh, that's one of the, uh, that's it's pretty difficult to do that. And that's something that, I definitely don't take for granted. For example, if it's going out for a goal kick, borderline goal kick, corner kick, boundary line decision, um, I can just – I don't have to be precisely in the right position. I can be a little bit to the left. I can be a little bit to the right. I can be 20, 22, 25 yards away. As long as I have a good angle of view of the challenge, it doesn't matter. While they they have to be right there on the line to make that decision, uh, and they have to stop on the line on almost a dime. So it's, uh, it's definitely harsher movements than a referee.
0: I'm surprised we don't see more clips of referees totally like just eating it after they sprint with the whole, with the referee. Like I said, athletes. Yeah, for real. Props to you guys. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be
1: right back to you guys. VTruve is a reliable, affordable, and easy to use velocity based training system that allows sports medicine staff to monitor and evaluate an athlete's performance in the gym. There are so many scientific papers supporting velocity-based training showing how athletes can get stronger, more powerful, and reduce their injury risk. Most of all, it's one of the best ways to maximize athlete intent during a fitness or rehab session. Check out the link in the description to learn more about VTrove today. This episode is brought to you by Team Builder. If you're a physical therapist, fitness coach, or personal trainer, you need to know that Team Builder is the number one app for exercise prescription. Whether you're working with a few clients one-on-one as a side hustle, or you're working with hundreds of athletes in an academy setting, there's no better app to prescribe exercises for remote or in-person training than Team Builder. As someone who's used Team Builder for over two years, I can wholeheartedly say it saves me time and helps my clients perform at their best. As a bonus, Team Builder is offering a 12-week soccer strength and conditioning program that comes with your 14-day free trial. This program focuses on increasing strength, power, and speed, all while reducing risk of injury. Head over to TeamBuilder.com and sign up with the code SFE to get started. All right, and
0: welcome back, listeners. Um, back here with JC. Uh, follow-up question. Now that uh, we've talked a little bit more about the fitness aspects we have to deal with, could you give one, maybe two examples about what are some of the hardest decisions that you as a referee have to make in games?
2: Well, I think the hardest decision to make as a referee in general or as an AR is an offside because you have to like just think about a player sprinting forward, player sprinting at you, you have to make a snapshot. Uh, decision. And I have to say that the MLS ARs are amazing at it. I think they average before VAR intervention, uh, almost 99. I think it's like 98.7% success rate, which is just incredible. Um, For me, for me personally, I think it's, um, I think it's being focused. It's not really making a specific decision in a game. There's always going to be times where there's a lull where the game just is kind of down and if something happens and you're not ready for it that can cause the game to go into disarray um and i think that's the biggest thing the hardest thing is just to ensuring that you're turned on and when that we call it a spark or a flashpoint when that moment happens no matter when it happens in the game that we're ready for that i think that's the biggest thing but if you're asking specifically about a decision um I would have to say penalty area decisions on the edge of it. I mean, it's, it's so hard to decide in and out, especially if uh, working in a league like USL where we don't have VAR, it's uh, it's really difficult to be exactly right in line. And a lot of times it's, uh, it's, it's going with your gut. It's a gut feeling of if it's in or out because I mean, it's almost impossible to know exactly. Uh, I'm with you on
0: that. Um, I like that you touched on just being focused because I have never refereed, but um, there's been a couple of times in training where like, I'm just refereeing, the team, just kind of making sure things go on. I'm really watching so I can coach and tell people what I think we should do differently. Um, but then just something happens. Somebody falls. I'm like, I don't know if that was a foul. And then people are like, looking at me like, coach, that was a foul. I'm like, coach, that wasn't a foul. I'm just like, I, I don't know. <laughs> Play on, please. Um, See, so I, totally I, I understand can't you. say I don't know. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. So I totally hear you on that. You guys have a tough job honestly.
2: Yeah, um, it's it's rewarding though.
0: Yeah. Speaking on like making those decisions, sometimes players, coaches, parents, they might not agree with you. Um how do you deal when any of those people are when they're yelling at you? Cuz honestly that's what happens. They just start yelling at you. How do you respond to that?
2: I think the biggest thing is just reminding them in some capacity that you're human. I mean, it's I don't do it very often, but occasionally just sometimes saying, hey, I might have messed that up. That's on me, man. Look, I, I'm not going to guess there. I'm not going to guess for you. I'm not going to guess away from you. Like, I'm not like, look, you have to trust me. Just little things like that. Just being like, hey, or there's something that's a borderline foul. And you're like 10, 20, 30 seconds later, you're like, man, that's probably a foul. Next time it goes out and you see the player, you just go up to him and you're like, hey, man. I I think I missed that. It's on me. I'll get you next time. And like, we're not going to give a makeup call. Like I know a lot of people are like, Oh, referee gave that as a makeup call. There's never been once in my life where I'm like, I'm not calling that hundred percent penalty because I might've missed one down over here. Like it's not ever in the forefront of your mind, but I'd say just reminding, just talking to them because we think like they're passionate, they're upset. And what is it like, if you're going to yell at them again, what is that going to do? That's just going to cause them to get more emotional, them to get more upset. There are moments to, uh, to be a little bit more stern. There are moments to be a little bit more harsh as a referee, but for the most part, it's just, you're there to uh, do what's best for the match. And sometimes it's just taking it and just working with the players, um, the coaches as a fourth official and just be like, Hey man, look, that's what it is. Like, I'm sorry. Like might've missed that, but, it is what it is.
0: I hear that. And honestly, referees that do that, and you, you guys that are just honest, I, that's the kind of referee I like working with. I think, um, I don't know if I've mentioned it on a podcast before, but I had an example where I was at a game and it was high intensity of zero, 0 and one of our players was fouled and you know, I thought it should have been a yellow, blah, blah, blah. I asked the referee why it wasn't and he replies to me, oh, I ran out of yellow cards. And what? Exactly. So he he gave me that reply and I was like, this is like a stressful situation and you're trying to be funny right now. And like, I know you're getting a laugh out of this, but like you were not being professional and like, I can't even say anything because you're just kicking out of the game.
2: <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's certain times, like for one thing I've learned very early um, on one of my fourth officials, I tried telling a, there was, there was a borderline. It was probably more yellow card than not. And I tried to tell the coach, Hey, that's not a yellow card. And he looked at me and he's like, that's not a yellow card. And I remember that I'm not going to call shout out this coach, but he's like, that's an effing yellow card. He's like, that's not one. Are you out of your mind? I'm, I'm you know what? Go shove off. I'm not talking to you. And after the game, he's like, you do not tell me that's not a yellow card. That's a yellow card. Ninety percent of the time. You are not telling me that that's not a yellow card. So instead of saying that now is what I'm saying. What I tend to say is the referee's choosing to manage that. Because what it's one of those things to where like yes they're they're smart enough like there's plenty of coaches throughout the MLS throughout the USL John Harkes Landon Donovan at the USL level both American national team uh, US national team uh, legends and they know more soccer than almost anybody else on this planet so if you say that's not a yellow card uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna do you well but if you say referees choosing to manage it they may not like that the referees choosing to manage it. But they can't really argue against that fact. So it's, yet again, just being clear, concise, and uh, being human with them, being relatable, just, uh, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I'm with you on
0: that. I always try to keep it, like, conversational. It's, like, it's not personal. It's, like, hey, I might disagree with that call, but that doesn't mean I don't like you as a human being. Like, I don't, if you did miss that call, I don't think you missed it on purpose. Yeah, and. and You're probably right anyway, and I'm just biased because I want my team to win.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And it's, and it's one thing that I do use occasionally is I'll be like, if I were in your position, I'd be asking for this too, because it's true. If I were playing, I was that, I want that decision. I'd be doing the same thing. I'd be in the referee being like, yo, yo, why is that not that? Like, can you give it to us? But end of the day, it's just keeping calm. It's just um, building that rapport with the players and just uh, doing what's best for the game for 90 minutes.
0: For sure. Totally makes sense. And I like that approach. Um couple questions about decisions Um, oh goodness (laughs) um, I think I let you know I was going to ask you this but Germany against Japan that game that happened I don't want to date the podcast but that game did happen was the ball in was the ball out what do you think it was I think it was in by the letter of the law
2: okay what about the spirit of the game
1: I mean, oh,
2: oh i like this whoa by the way spirit of the game on in and out decisions there is no spirit of the game it's it's clear and concise i'm just go like
0: the, the, the law is the law and we we have like certain technology to see it. although i know goal line technology obviously doesn't go that far but if the ball's in the ball's in you know
2: yeah, I, and it that's, seems like
0: Andy might have some thoughts, too, though.
2: <laughs> no, I mean, that's not I, – I just I just asked that uh, as a rhetorical question. But when it comes to boundary line and black and white decisions, like offside, if the ball's in or out, there's no spirit of the game. There's no, like, eh, like let him play. Like, that was barely out. Let's have the goalie punt the ball instead of a goal kick. It has to be 100%. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to – tech uh to uh challenges like fouls etc uh simulation stuff like that there's a little bit more gray area what's expected for the game what the spirit of the game wants um to answer your question the ball is in it's uh i mean it doesn't fully cross the line and that's i mean from everything that i saw it was not 100 percent clear that crossed the line so it was the tightest i've ever seen it in my life
0: yeah Um, i had to like zoom in on the zoomed in picture
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, FIFA did a really good job of like showcasing what it looked from different angles if it was in or out. Uh, initially, when I saw that, I was like, "Holy cow, that's close!" But mm-hmm. I have no idea. But I think the referee crew did a very good job in letting the bu- let the letting the play go, and then letting uh, VAR or look- check it check it over to make sure that there wasn't anything clear and obvious that was missed.
1: Now you mentioned spirit of the game. Can you? elaborate as to what that exactly is
2: this is this is where i get in trouble um (laughs) spirit of the game is what it's what does the game it's soccer iq it's what does Mm. the game expect there are Mm -hmm. certain situations like we've all seen something to where somebody's on a yellow card and something Mm -hmm. that would be a yellow card for the first caution won't be a yellow card for the second caution Mm-hmm. and sometimes you just have to have a feel for the game. What does the game expect? Now, there are certain things that tie our hands. For example, if you're clear onto the goal, it's a 5 nothing game, and somebody pulls somebody from behind, like a horse-collar tackle, it has to be a red card every single time. Mm-hmm. But there's yeah. some other situations where referees will choose to manage it, and it's what is expected by the spirit of the game. What is expected? Sure, the laws may push you in one direction, but you just have to have that soccer IQ, that soccer understanding and just be like, hey, instead of doing A, I'm going to do B this time when most of the time I would do A. Does that mm. make sense?
1: It does. It does. And I, I think with um, like VAR these days and everything like that, especially in this World Cup, what, what I will say is I feel like everything has been consistent. Um, which which I think is good. Like wh- what's seen as 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 what I'm interpreting as the spirit of the game. In one game, it's the same to the next. So I, I think that the refereeing association or whoever's in charge, FIFA, whoever, um, they're doing a really good job of saying like this is the standard, and we're all going to call the same things. And from my perspective, it's it's been relatively even so far.
2: I d- I definitely agree that this was uh this was a very well refereed World Cup. Like you see the number of cautions, the number of red cards. I don't know off the top of my head, but compared to what it was in the 2006 World Cup and stuff like that, it, it feels like every single game is very well managed, very well controlled. And it could be, it's, it's also on the players. The players are playing. They're not uh, falling to uh, any um, poop housery uh, to keep this clean. Um, but yeah, and it's uh I definitely think that, the, that they did a very good job. I'm glad you noticed that too, Andy.
0: Yeah, honestly my favorite thing that I've seen is that they're giving back the what seems like a more appropriate amount of added time at the end of every half. Because it, it gets so exhausting sometimes seeing like teams just do so much and then you only get three minutes at the end and you're like, how? So I'm happy that they're doing that.
2: No, it's uh, definitely a point of contention. Uh, and it was pretty surprising at the beginning, but I think it is the right thing to do because they are talking about cutting games towards 60 minutes with the stop clock. And for me, that just doesn't feel like soccer or football, wherever you are, or Calcio, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think that in time is definitely something that is like we we're talking about spirit of the game. It's what's expected.
0: Yeah hear you on that well we talked about a couple decisions um what are your thoughts as a referee when you're in a game when you see simulation or think you see someone exaggerating contact what what do you do how do you handle those situations
2: yet again it depends on the situation i will tell you one of the uh one of the best feelings personally is when you get yourself in a perfect position, perfect angle. A lot of it is angles in soccer, because I could be standing looking directly, you and Andy right here, and nobody can see what my hands are doing, but I have no idea what my hands are doing. I don't know how close they are, but if I have the perfect angle, I can see exactly if they're going into each other or not. Um, With simulation, that's what is key to it. If you have doubt that there's simulation, um, that that there's contact, you're not going to give a caution for simulation. If there's contact that's not initiated by the attacker, you don't give it. Um, but like I was saying, one of the best things about best feelings as a referee is when you're 110% sure you got that guy for a simulation or that girl for a simulation. And it's an easy yellow card coming out. Uh, that it's, it's a really good feeling because... It's hard. It's really hard because players are running what Mbappe was running at 34 35 kilometers an hour uh the other day. So that's over 24 25 miles per hour. Um it's it's hard to really like see that and get that angle, but I think it's it's part of the game to a degree. It isn't fun as a referee because if somebody exaggerates the contact and it just makes the job harder. It does make the job harder, but like I said, it's very satisfying when I do get it correct.
0: With you on that. I I don't know if you can answer this or not, but do you think that yellow cards are given out enough for simulation in professional games?
2: The answer is probably, I'm I'm only gonna speak from my personal experience. Uh, This year in the USL season, I think I had two simulation cards given and i missed another two um and the reason why is because if i have any doubt i'm not giving that as a yellow card and both times where i didn't give it i felt it in my gut but i'm like i don't know and usually it's just like dude get up like or i'll say something to them later it's not just like a lot of times you don't see the referee after the decision but if something like that happens and i have a little bit of doubt in it or i'm like oh i'm pretty sure that dude just went down I'll go to him later. I'll be like, dude, you're not going to get any calls if you keep doing that. Like, you're going to lose the benefit of the doubt with me. Let's not, don't try me. And yeah, that's usually what it comes down to. So you don't usually see that off the camera, but that's usually what referees are doing.
0: I love that. I love that. All right. Last couple questions coming up. And thanks again for your time tonight. Um, what are your goals as a referee? Where are you trying to get to? Are you trying to be at the World Cup 2026?
2: Um, as great as that, as, as that would be, it's uh, I'll touch on it just briefly. The process to become a FIFA World Cup referee is a an long and arduous process. So if you're trying to be a referee in the 2026 World Cup, you already have to be a FIFA. You're most likely going to be contacted shortly after this World Cup ends. Uh, I am not a FIFA. Um, I'm a national referee or pro referee. Uh, yeah, pro two referee in the United States uh, in the pyramid of the system. But you have to be a FIFA. You last World Cup cycle, if I remember correctly, there were about 600 referees on a um, who were initial cuts, the initial referees. There were 600 in the world selected. Uh, two years before the World Cup, it was cut down to about 250 to 300. About a year and a half to a year before it was cut down to about 100, 130. And then the number of actual referees that went to the World Cup, don't quote me on the exact numbers, Uh, This includes referees and VARs strictly on the referee side. I think it was, the number was around 60. So only 60 referees in the whole entire world were selected. And it's a three and a half year process that leads up to the world cup. So um, my goals as a referee, and I'm going to answer this in a very referee way is to continue to serve the game the best I can uh, continue to uh, do the best with opportunities I'm given and uh, just see where it takes me. I've already, uh, Surpassed all the goals that I thought when I did a U uh, twelve uh, tournament final when I was like, twenty years old, and I was beyond excited about that. So, um, still, still one of my greatest uh, accomplishments was doing that final.
0: That's awesome. Um, I love those goals because I mean, we we need good referees, we need good players, we need good coaches, good parents. So I love that. I'm just uh, I, while you're explaining that, I was just sitting here imagining um, Pierre Luigi Kalina just every four years, just sitting at home, grading referees, are we going to pass them or not? Are we going to pass them or not? (laughs) Until he narrows it down enough.
2: It's intense. It is, um, I will tell you that some of the things for me personally, leading up to a game, I usually have a meeting with my coach for a little bit. Uh, Usually it's just like 10, 15 minutes. Uh, We have uh, up to an hour we'll meet. Uh, The day of the game, I have to meet with the referee crew. We usually meet about two to three hours before the game, have our pregame. We do the game, after the game, we have about a half hour discussion, uh, debrief and assessment. And we get very, um, it's very rigid uh, or not rigid, rigid is not a good word. There's a lot of feedback, both positive and negative. And that's, and we get that every single time we referee. So if you see any type of person at the professional level in any capacity That is what you have to do do with, along with the travel. If I'm flying to L.A., I get there Friday, um, and also with the training. I get there Friday in L.A. I got to go train as soon as I land, make sure my muscles are good, and then uh, sleep next day. I got to go do a good job on the match and then fly home on Sunday.
0: Love it. It's all got to get done. It's what you got to do to be a professional. Final question, JC. How can listeners, if they choose to, work on becoming a high-level referee?
2: The best way is to watch referees on TV, see what they do, try to pick up on things and remember not everything somebody does is going to fit into your personality. It's kind of like you, Sebastian, or you, Andy, like something you might do and get away with, I'm not going to be able to get away with. So it's just remembering that, creating your own personality on the field. And the other thing is, if you know a higher level referee, ask them, why did you do the certain thing? Why did why did you not do this in a certain situation? And just keep learning. It's like you do in every single situation, every single um, profession. The you're constantly learning, you're constantly trying to do better, constantly trying to just be that one percent better. And uh, that's honestly where it comes from. It's just talking to people and just working on the working on the little things and improving.
0: Hundred percent. That's what we try to do every day. Us as physical therapists and you as referees.
2: Exactly.
0: Well, JC, just want to say one more time. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. We learned so much. And I think our listeners will really appreciate
1: hearing from you.
2: Thank you so much, Sebastian. Thank Thank you, you so much, JC, for your time. Thank you.